0: Welcome to Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 6. In Minute 6, we complete the hat-tipping lesson in the classroom, exit the school with Nathaniel and the Headmaster, come upon the wretched limousine, and prepare to say our goodbyes to Stephen Wood and Headmaster Timmins. Get ready to set sail on Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 6.
1: Still in the classroom scene where Nathaniel has just given the somebody's daddy's missing a leg jab to his uh, dear friend who that student's name is Lance in the screenplay here. And if you listen to Molina carefully, it sounds like he says Lance and not Lawrence. So I I believe uh, that was uh, his name is actually Lance.
0: We have a transcription error on the closed captioning, perhaps. Correct. correct. That is very interesting.
1: So the, the, the scene consists of Nathaniel going up and giving his uh, presentation and then um, transitions into the outside scene back with Timmins, um, where he's uh, starting to enter his uh, limousine. So that's the bookends for this scene. Uh, When Nathaniel gives his presentation in the screenplay, it's listed as him doing it with a baseball cap and not a derby at all, which I guess the implication there would be that he's not taking this presentation very seriously. The dialogue still has him referring to a 14th century Norwegian derby, but he's holding a baseball cap.
0: Interesting. Joke must not have held visually. So, on the point of Lance, so we're going to have to come back to this perhaps in the next minute. If you go look at the cast of Cabin Boy on IMDb, there is a character by the name of Lance who is included in the cast, uh, Mr. David H. Sterry, who I had been ignoring because there's no Lance in this movie. Who could this be? Uh-huh. Now we know.
1: Yes, because I remember last week you were saying that you couldn't find him.
0: Nope, David David Sterry, known for Cabin Boy, Fresh Prince, and Panic in the Park. All right, got some uh, we got some information here, some breaking news <laughs> <Right>. on <laughs> on the pod. Yeah, this is very exciting. Not not much on him, but uh, I'm I'm happy to know who this gentleman is.
1: So. Nathaniel's presentation, I, of course, went into researching the type of hat that he is presenting on, which he uh, describes as a 14th century Norwegian derby. Hmm. Now, as we've learned in Cabin Boy Minute 5, the derby is the United States version of the bowler hat. And as yes. we all know from being students of Cabin Boy Minute 5, the bowler hat, aka derby, was not invented until 1849. So this would preclude a derby being in existence in the 14th century. So, regardless of how wealthy or how extraordinarily large your uh, phallus might be, uh, owning a 14th century Norwegian Derby is not a thing.
0: We have our first instance of Nathaniel lying, exaggerating. This is not surprising given his behavior, although I will say I don't don't recall him just making things up to this extent. So the question is, does he know that it's not from the 14th century?
1: Well, this is where the context of the note in the screenplay that this was originally supposed to be a baseball cap Make it seem like he was phoning this whole thing in and he didn't care about his presentation at all. And they all were acknowledging that he was just coming up with it off the, I would say, off the cuff, but off the brim of his hat, if you will. Oh, I, um, I would. But I, I guess for whatever reason, they decided to go with a, a derby.
0: I could see the baseball cap not working. They broke out the baseball cap. They run the scene and they're sitting there and they're like, you know, it's just too much.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So, and then also in the scene, uh, well, before his presentation, he says, uh, thank you, my dear underpaid professor, uh, as yet again, another insult. So I did do a little research on the salaries of professors. And yes, it it does seem to be an ongoing issue with professors in general uh, from a 2019 Boston Globe article. Uh, states that only 17% of college professors are tenured and 62% of adjuncts earned less than $20,000 a year, which is uh, alarming.
0: Yeah, that is certainly. Although, since this is a private finishing school, I would venture that he is probably a little more well-compensated than your run-of-the-mill, say, you know, college professor.
1: You would guess, but, you know, either way, compared to Nathaniel's money, I'm sure, it pales in comparison. In this scene in the screenplay, so when he first walks in the front of the class, his line is, Before I begin, may I please chastise whoever is responsible for causing this room to smell like day-old porridge? I'm an inch from popping my afternoon muffin. <laughs> Still preserve the silly-looking, dim-witted classmates bit. And then this was his, a little different. He says, this little lovely was only worn by European royalty. Notice its pleasing curves and superior construction. Very few of these exist today. Then then we go into the, those that do either reside in museums or in the possession of extraordinarily rich boys with large penises. Which we might as well jump in right now. This was, uh, as you know, I like to come up with a philosophical pondering for each of our episodes. And um, do you believe that there is an evolutionary correlation up to this point between wealth and penis size?
0: I would say that there is not a correlation. If there is
1: a correlation,
0: it would be associated with those men who marry into wealth. The
1: men, if, right. Okay.
0: If you categorize by how the wealth was acquired, those men who marry into wealth, I could certainly see being on the larger end. Whereas those men who uh, generate their own wealth or inherit their wealth, that's got to be, there's less association there. So moving on, um, one thing to uh, bring up the teacher's uh, his his note about interrupting the proceedings with Nathaniel's infantile babble. Uh, one thing I noted there was that he termed it his usual infantile babble. Ooh implying that this is a regular occurrence from Nathaniel, which, as we've noted before, seems to just have been his entire schooling experience being obnoxious and uh, belittling. I have to wonder how the teachers and his classmates have held up with it all these years. The look on uh, Lance's face when Nathaniel goes up to give his presentation. I thought that was a decent bit of acting there, just the disgust and hatred Agreed. Plus Nathaniel goes up. Thought, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Sterry did a good job exhibiting Lance's disdain for Nathaniel. <laughs>
1: There's a scene in the screenplay after this classroom scene where he's in his room, apparently alone, <laughs> sits in front of a mirror, taking bobby pins out of his wig, preparing for bed. He says a little prayer, and this is the prayer. Dear Lord, rather than pestering you to give me the strength and wisdom to run my daddy's hotel chain, I'm requesting that my work hours not be unnecessarily lengthy, as I'd like very much to have the bulk of my afternoons free to screw around the islands. Thanks always for your support. Amen and yours very truly, Nathaniel W. Mayweather, son of William H. Mayweather, big shot millionaire.
0: Big shot millionaire. I like it.
1: And then uh, he takes a beat and begins singing a hymn, an obnoxious falsetto. And the note is they show the exterior of the dorm. And it says, uh, we hear Nathaniel singing, wafting outside from the dormitory and various shut the hell ups from other students who are obviously familiar with this ritual.
0: If we want to evaluate why a given scene was cut from the script, I could see why they took that. The prayer is redundant with the prayer when he gets out of the limbo. The singing though and the shut the hell ups so I could see as being entertaining, but I could also see why they excised it. Not necessary to move the movie forward, although it would have been entertaining.
1: Alright, so now we're we're outside of Stephen Wood finishing school. We see Timmins and Nathaniel gauging once again aside a limousine. Mm-hmm jkl 358 the the limousine so i i tried to find what kind of limousine this was and when we listen to the commentary this is something that resnick talks uh, go into goes into detail about that people have a lot of problems with the time period of that uh cadillac limo mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what time period this whole movie is supposed to be taking place in so what I came up with for what that limo is, is a 1990 Cadillac Fleetwood Broman limousine van. 70-inch stretch limousine. Limousine van. That's yeah. Let's just grant that it's a 1990 limousine. So this is what people were having problems with in the time period. Is is he suggesting that the time period is was supposed to be much earlier, like 30s, 40s, 50s? and that the limousine would make it seem contemporary?
0: I think it's along those lines. The difference between the limo, the state of the Golden Mist seaport, the quality of the filthy whore that tends to throw people, right? The, the wooden sign that is leading them to the Golden Miss seaport, all those things are kind of incongruous with each other. But at the same time, they have a microwave on the filthy whore.
1: <laughs>
0: right. And when they get to uh, when they get to Hawaii, it appears to be very contemporary. But then we also have the uh, who's it? I think Elliot makes the point. Both Elliot and Resnick that Tim Burton had a history of doing things like this, mixing in things from different eras within his movies. It's like, oh, this is set in the modern day, but somebody's driving around in like you know a 1930s car or It appears to be set in the 50s, but people are working on modern computers, things of that nature. And uh, they both note that they put elements like that in the script because they thought they were writing the script for Tim Burton. And I think it is just relatively limited. You know, we don't have a lot of it. We have kind of the the semi-modern Aspect of Stephen Wood in the car and all that. Then you appear to slide back a bit when you get to the Golden Mist Seaport and you're on the filthy whore. And then there's some other elements, kind of modernity along the way. And then you're back in kind of modern times when you're in Hawaii.
1: I think for a moment they were trying to say maybe this was a holdover from that crossing of different time periods from Burton. And then I think they ultimately...
0: It, it would not surprise me if that particular complaint came from like one or two critics... And he's just holding on to that and presents it as like, oh, everybody was complaining about this. When in reality, it was like two or three people who didn't understand the movie who were sitting there. You know, afterwards, when was this supposed to take place? It's not (laughs) it's not the point of the movie to know when the time period
1: is. It's not it's not germane to the story or the the outcome. And then uh, so Timmons, the little joke about I have a picture of his backside in my wallet, if you care to kiss it. Yes. So the question that I have is, do you think Nathaniel's father, it's just by virtue of him giving wealthy, you know, giving big donations to the school, that it's it's known that he should be, you know, kissing his ass? Or does uh, perhaps Nathaniel's family have, have something uh, specifically on uh, Timmins, some sort of uh, scandal there hanging over his head or something like that?
0: I, I mean, I like that. That twist that you just brought up, it would be interesting if there was this hidden undercurrent of blackmail and scandal. (laughs) The Mayweather shipping empire is really built on, uh, you know, racketeering and what have you.
1: Just to press that another second. I mean, it seems to have a real particular like he's almost his his valet. Timmons, you know, I mean, he seems to be, he's the one standing with him. No, none of his family, obviously, it's Timmons seeing him off at the end. Timmons, I know he's giving him a telegram earlier, but it, this seems to be a, a very frequent thing that they're out talking to each other. And, you know, it's almost like he's hes very involved in Nathaniel. I
0: would put it down to his father being a major benefactor to the school, having given them lots of money. Maybe he has given them money for private children. maybe the family has traditionally gone to Stefanwood and is a big supporter of Stephen Wood. and so Timmins knows that he has to treat Nathaniel well because of how much financial support the school gets from the family. That was my interpretation of the relationship. So they walk out of the school. Nathaniel removes his fairly cheap looking graduation gown I have to say, takes that off, tosses his diploma in the car, Slaps his bag into Timmons' chest, just absolutely not caring about anyone around him. Timmins says his final goodbye, hoping Nathaniel will be a virtuous fancy lad out in the world. And Nathaniel, of course, doesn't give a shit. Offers the picture of his backside for him to kiss it. And then this was the first time I noticed it on this rewatch. The look on Nathaniel's face as he waits for Timmins to react to that comment is amazing. he's he's got this like pursed mouth like expectation i don't know how to describe it i highly recommend that anyone watches this scene focus on nathaniel
1: take a look at his face it's great so some of our uh questions here who who won the scene nathaniel chris elliott yeah i mean i because i gave it to nathaniel last scene um last minute uh because of Clearly, the drifter's corpse and somebody's daddy's missing a leg. I, I'm giving this scene to Molina uh, out of respect. And uh, oh, I, do okay, think, fair. I do think he does a, a, a fine job for what his, his uh, scene is. And um, that's it. Well, I think that's appropriate. I think he might
0: appreciate that. He might be happy to hear that. That someone gave him the respect that he clearly did not receive during this movie. Well, you're welcome, Alfred. Good. Good for you. I'm still giving the scene to Chris. <laughs>
1: the most embarrassed, I'll, I'll jump into this one. So we've already talked about Timmons. I do not feel that he's embarrassed. Uh, Molina d- doesn't give the impression of being embarrassed. I know I gave it to him two minutes ago, just out of context. So I did survey the class. The, there's a guy, mm-hmm. it's the guy directly behind Lance. So he's awesome. a strong contender for most embarrassed. But there's also there's a guy in the dim-witted-looking student scene with the two kids. The one kid that turns back to the other, and they kind of give this like "what the fuck" look to each other. There's a there's one kid that's not part of that exchange that's sitting in front of both of them, and he he just <laughs> he just looks absurd and. Uh, <laughs> to me looks embarrassed so i'm gonna give it to him that that guy the, the third party in the dim-witted looking classmate uh, reaction scene
0: excellent uh i i was i was gonna go with molina again um i feel like he's going back and forth between anger and shame during the course of the scene as to what what is happening why he's there this was not what he signed up for. God damn it. Is there any place where he can get a good bite
1: to eat afterwards? Yeah. I'm right. Gonna, I'm going to go with Molina. I would love to see also a, uh, a five minute clip of Molina's interactions with the cabin boy crew and then him going out across the street having a cup of coffee or something like i would just watch him drink coffee like outside the studio just kind of in quiet <laughs> reflection for a couple of minutes that would, would It's <laughs> worth it
0: it's worth it coffee's not even good <laughs>
1: Uh, so one of my favorite questions, how would the scene be more palatable? I have if if Nathaniel was actually, uh, you know, super smart, if it, that does not come across as he's super smart, you know, no. that he's completely phoning it in. And I, I just think if he gave this like wowing presentation and it really was a legitimate type of hat that he did actually own and, you know, really just went, when the time came, he could he could show everybody up. I think it would make his quips a lot, uh, cut a lot deeper. Just in contrast, he isn't this cackling baboon, but he, you know, he can turn it off and on. And that's really what makes it overall, to go back to the quote about, uh, you know, turning his, uh, recognizes his folly, it would make the arc of his character a lot deeper that he, you know, he was this kind of smart kid that just, just wanted to goof around and make fun of people, but he really could uh, do things with his life and do things well, I think would have been a much stronger undercurrent for this movie.
0: I, I like that interpretation. I like that twist. I think it would give Nathaniel, you'd have a lot more sympathy for Nathaniel. You'd be able to connect with Nathaniel more. Right now, he's not really a likable protagonist. And he immediately, I mean, he's likable in that he's entertaining, but he's not likable in that you would want to spend any time with him. Versus in that framing, there would be a lot more depth to it and probably a lot more interest. I I have to say, I really do like that kind of, that change. I think that would, that would work.
1: Do you have a gags per minute tally? I
0: came up with uh, six gags in this minute. My gags being the infantile babble comment. My dear underpaid professor. Silly, dim-witted-looking classmates, large penises, uh, throwing his belongings kind of into the car and at Timmins, and then the backside picture.
1: I had every single one of those, uh, with the exception of the infantile babble, so I will uh, up mine from five to six, and we will call this a GPM of six. Excellent. Funny not funny, I say funny. Agreed, Funny. Anything to be said on celebrity replacements? Uh, I briefly
0: entertained the idea of Chris Farley as Timmons coming out and doing like a, the uh, motivational speaker guy, sending Chris on his way. I don't know, might might not might not work, but it's what 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 passed my mind. As always, we need to look at how this ties into the quote. It's just continuing. Uh, you know, we we continue to see Nathaniel as you know a disdainful proud fool there's no no change in his character that makes us think he's any less foolish but we are firmly transitioning now from kind of his initial his home for lack of a better word for this kind of the arc of the story to now he is about to embark on the road so we're really beginning the transition he's going to he's going to be on the move as he gets into the limo so really the the journey is now beginning
1: right where he will in the next scene uh be welcomed to the real world, so to speak. Yes, can't wait. His sheltered, his sheltered existence. So that attached. attach that to the quote, the process of his awakening from his folly uh, will begin. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, well, thank you, everybody, for joining us yet again for another uh, minute of Cabin Boy Uh, This concludes Cabin Boy Minute 6. We'll see you next week with Minute 7. Adios. Thank you again for joining us on Cabin Boy Minute. Help spread the word, tell your friends about us, and rate and subscribe on your podcast medium of choice. Check out our episode notes where you can find calls to action, details on how to support the pod, or leave us a message. Or find us on Twitter at, at CabinboyMinute. We look forward to joining you again next week. Bon voyage!